Welcome to Hospitality Meets with me, Phil Street, where we take a light-hearted look into the stories and individuals that make up the wonderful world of hospitality. Today's guest is the wonderful Becky Lowne, founder and director at Crow Consulting and all-round drinks guru. Coming up on today's show, Becky talks us through a real career highlight. Everything that could go wrong in that place went wrong, so it was kind of seemed slightly cursed or haunted. Phil tells us how he's been dealing with the pandemic. Every day is a Malbec day in my house. <laughs> and Becky reveals that she may have had too much rum before coming on the show. I would love it to be rum to be on the r- what, rise. Rum to be on the rise, there we go. All that and so much more as we talk through Becky's story and journey to date, as well as some excellent content on the world of wine. In addition, don't forget to get yourselves behind Hospitality Aid 2020, a Live Aid-style virtual concert packed with performing talent from the hospitality industry, raising valuable funds for hospitality action. Get that calendar marked, August 31st, 4pm, British Summertime. Head over to experience101.co.uk for more information. Don't forget to give us a like and a share so we can share those stories. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to Hospitality Meets with me, Phil Street. When I started this podcast, one of my hopes and objectives was to tell the stories of as wide a variety as possible of the roles that exist within this incredible industry of ours. Today's guest is a shining example of that. I get to to chat to someone from the supplier network today, specifically in one of my favorite items, drink. So I'm delighted to welcome founder and director of Crow Consulting, Becky Lowne. Hello. 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 How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. Great. Where in the world are you? I am in sunny Surrey. Is it sunny there? It's uh, trying to be sunny, but right. Well, I'll, I'll just pretend it's sunny. It's a beautiful sunny day in July. Yeah. It's uh, exceptionally rainy Essex for me today. Well, so that's nice. Just typical English weather, just to add to our moods. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, we've had our summer already, haven't we? May was incredible. May and June were pretty good. And now July's here. It's like, okay, you can have your normal summer now. Exactly. Yeah. It always ends up raining on my birthday. So I'm, I'm kind of used to it. Yeah. Do you think we can do 40 minutes of talking about the weather? Give it a go. We could talk about different, yeah. <laughs> different types of clouds. <laughs> Yeah, we just um, <laughs> we just lost seventy five percent of the uh, of the listeners. I don't know, I think, but um, we might attract a different crowd. You know, we might have some people yeah. coming in wanting to know about meteorology or something. So yeah, well, I suppose weather and drink go quite well together, don't they? They're extremely well together. Let's pretend it's a sunny day and everyone's got a glass of rosé in their hand. Yes, I, 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 that sounds great to me. Great. Well, tell us a little bit about what well. I suppose I was going to say what you do right now, but it's all a bit weird at the moment. But um, assuming this sneaky little virus didn't exist, what would you be doing right now? What would I be doing? So I am founder of Crowd Consulting, so my own wine and spirits consultancy company. So I help with everything from wine list developments, recommendations, looking at new suppliers, cocktail lists, training staff whether it's on their wine, on how to make cocktails, all the way down to the really fun, exciting things like how to clean beer lines. Yeah, everything booze related, I guess. is Cleaning the beer lines was actually one of my favourite nights when I worked as a bartender. Well, that's because you always end up having to drink what was in the lines. Indeed. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, Yeah, little known fact. Obviously, don't pull through the chemical as well. but um... Obviously, yeah, health and safety first. Yeah. Great. Okay. Well, let's go all the way back to the beginning then. Out of school, what did you do and how did you get into this this amazing industry? 
how did I do it? Let's go back. We're going back a long time. We're going back 18 years ago when I was a fresh-faced little 16-year-old looking for some money to whatever it is at 16 you do, I don't know, party and go out with your friends on a weekend. And I started working for Payne and Gunter right. in some of their stadium venues around Surrey. So more often than not would be at Twickenham Rugby Stadium, kind of as a waitress. Did that for a couple of years in between you know, schoolwork, everything from, you know, Hampton Court Flower Show to Wimbledon Tennis to in the international rugby matches that were going on. Just loved it. It was always great fun. What seemed at 16, very glamorous events in, in you know, these amazing venues. And then took myself off to university at 18, up to the uh, sunny lights of the north in Leeds to do history of art, yep. which obviously very complete right track to go into the hospitality industry well, yeah hand in hand right hospitality and history of art yeah 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 no, no completely complement each other so yeah did my degree but whilst I was there wanted to to have a job as well to meet kind of different people so started working in a bar in Leeds city centre worked there for a couple of years then went to another big restaurant chain went to Hard Rock became one of uh, their events and hosts. So I was that person outside in the bomber jacket and the headset. Awesome. Fake American They've got a lot to answer for, haven't they, as a brand? Really do, um, So many people that I know have come through hard rock in some form and and are probably better human beings for it. I completely agree. In terms of their training and and how they induct you into kind of the service industry, as they call it, it's still quite Americanized. Yeah, it was, you know, guest is king. Everything's kind of super inflated in terms of hyperactivity and and how you greet people. And as a fresh-faced 18-year-old, I guess it was uh, was attractive to me of, you know, wandering up and down the queue outside in freezing cold December in Leeds, being like, guys... I can see how that's appealing. (laughs) <laughs> don't don't worry we'll get to a table in a couple of seconds don't and I did do the voice as well just to embarrass myself but um great I just redid really it for you then as well <laughs> but it was it was it was amazing it was a it was a really good grounding into I guess it's almost an extreme version of the hospitality kind of we know in the UK and particularly know now but it was a really good grounding then I went to work for a couple of other restaurant chains and this is all still whilst doing my degree graduated had no clue what to do with a history of art degree I was going to ask you about that because and I please don't take this the wrong way I'm, I'm trying not to be insulting but it's one of those degrees that people and I kind of look at mainstream comedians and things like that they really hone in on and go what can you do with that yeah what is the objective with a history of art degree I mean I'm still trying to find out <laughs> uh, quite a few years later no I um I was very artistic when I was at school I did three art a levels but decided I didn't want to do an art you know kind of a fine art degree I wanted to do something mm. more, more academic so decided history of art seemed to like a like a good choice I guess um when you're picking your degrees at 17 you assume you know everything and in actual fact you know absolutely nothing and you're about to get yourself into a lot of debt and yeah come out come out with a diploma at the end but it seemed like a good idea for me well I just think I feel like I've spoken about this in in one of the other podcasts to me it's the wrong time to ask people what you want to do with the rest of your life completely yeah I mean I just didn't have a clue probably up until the age of 
42, which I am now. (laughs) At school, I definitely didn't. I was kind of all over the place and definitely wasn't particularly academically focused and was into sport. So that's kind of where I I just decided that I'd I'd go and pursue something to do with that. But it, it was not, I don't know if I was all in or I just didn't really have a clue. No, I don't think. I mean, I I can distinctly remember going to see a careers teacher when I was about sixteen, seventeen, and I um, I just I'd wanted to be an airline pilot. That was all I wanted to do, and wanted to be. I wanted to pilot planes. Right. Obviously, I've, I've fulfilled that dream. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, it's not too late. It's not. Too, it's never too late. But then it was kind of a little bit unrealistic, and so did history of art, which like I say at the time seemed yeah this is this is what I'm gonna do I think as well I knew I only had about eight hours of lectures a week okay that helps so massively helped and it happened that all of them were in the afternoons so that was very handy because I was working now I get it yeah yeah I mean that those hours are perfect student hours hours. but I had a full-time job as well so it wasn't like I was you know just out every night partying I was I was in in the bars you know until midnight and then going out partying and then getting up and doing the degree yeah perfect combination absolutely yeah so finish the degree and then like you've just said what do you do with a history of art degree of which at tender age of 20 I had no idea what to do with a history of art degree so uh carried on working in the bars and restaurants there was a new restaurant opening an Italian chain in Leeds so became assistant manager there which seemed like a great idea and I think at the time it was very much still, you know, we're going back 13, 14 years ago. Um, it was what, you know, you can't possibly, you know, have a career in this industry and you can't possibly, you know, this can't be all you want to do. You've got a degree now. So it's like, well, I'll just do this for the time being. I'll just be a restaurant manager for the time being and and see what happens. And then move to York to become assistant general manager of another restaurant. Stayed there for a couple of years, which was amazing. It was York's a beautiful place, but no doubt, yeah. it was a very challenging site. And I think anyone that knows me that was there at the time will know how challenging that was as a as a venue. Just yeah, everything that could go wrong in that place went wrong. So it was kind of seemed slightly cursed or haunted. Interesting. <laughs> Stayed there for a couple of years, and then Bright Lights of London called me back. So I came back to London, running wine bars in the city for a couple of years, which was amazing. It was um, post-recession, so got to see that kind of flip-over change of people's drinking habits. Yes, touch more extreme. Very extreme, seeing them going from ordering very, very expensive bottles of Polini Montrachet over lunch for whatever reason to, we'll just have a sparkling water. It was, um, yeah, seeing people's how their habits changed and just how the company credit cards went out the window and everything um, at, mm. that t- at that point was it was an amazing place to be and I had some beautiful venues around the city. Great, great company. And then the other side started calling me. Um, I had the opportunity to go and work for a company called Jascott's Wine Merchants as an account manager. And I thought, do you know what? I've, I've run bars. I, I know wine. I know booze. I've been the other side of the bar, so I know what I need from a supplier, so I'll give this a go. And I'm so glad I did. And spent five and a half, nearly six very happy years at Jascots, heading up their client development team, which was amazing. Just an incredible experience moving into the supplier side, the dark side. 
and then went into spirits for a couple of years after that and then went into back into wine and then in January this year started up on my own with Crow Consulting which was perfect timing. Wasn't it just? That in a nutshell is, is how I've got to here today. Well let's talk about that then in terms of starting your company just as a well it was just before the pandemic started to hit yeah and then obviously the aftermath of that I'm guessing was is that you, you know you you wouldn't have had a pronounced client list you've got your own company did you fall kind of between government support unfortunately so because I started our crowd on the 7th of January it meant I hadn't had any of those lovely tax forms to fill in thank goodness but also it meant I yeah. I wasn't entitled to any kind of government grant or funding for the small businesses that they were offering up so well, looked looked into everything looked into any kind of support I could find and unfortunately yeah I wasn't wasn't eligible for any kind of government support through this so yeah it was slightly bad timing of a pandemic hitting and starting up a business and I know there's so many people that were in a similar boat as well that they you know, we fortunately, I think it was a really, really small minority. It was about 0.5% of people that did just fall between the cracks in terms of what the government could help us with. Mm. It almost feels like they went, well, that's that's small enough to not really to, to not really. Matter. Yeah, I think I think it was, and I, you know, it, it's amazing that the support they have been able to offer. I'm trying to stay very positive about it, but um, it's yeah, they, I think it was it was such a small minority of people that they kind of did it did almost feel like well. We've covered pretty much every all of you know the other bases, and everyone else is covered. So you guys are just going to have to just do what you can. Figure it out on your own. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what have you what have you been able to do through this time to keep myself busy? Well, yeah, unfortunately, hospitality industry shutting down meant everything I had planned or had in the pipeline um, effectively was shut down as well. No one needs a consultant to help them on their wine list of they've got no one coming in to buy the wine unfortunately so um yeah yeah overnight kind of went from looking like 2020 was going to be really positive and you know taking this gamble and starting up on my own to effectively having having nothing no clients no prospects no no kind of platform for crowd to take off from which was yeah slightly disheartening and uh, I think devastating as more because it's, it's, I mean, it's a big thing when you go, right, I'm gonna, I'm, I've got enough faith in my own and confidence in my own ability and my own knowledge and passion for this, this subject or, you know, this, this thing that I, that I know and I've spent my career building that I'm going to do it on my own. Yeah. And then to kind of go, oh, no, no one need me at the moment, understandably. So just been trying to keep busy, been doing, doing some work with Hospitality Action, calling up some of their golden friends to check in on them decided yeah. now would be the ideal time to start an MBA so have decided to start an uh, MBA absolutely well I suppose a bit of time on your hands a little bit of time why not just get some more qualifications yeah you've got a few right yeah a few qualifications I, at the end a, of your name yeah it's more the, the letters on the business cards whether or not I use them or not but it's getting a bit wordy and long but we'll just go with it yeah what do you have now so I'm a, and if you get the MBA, then, well, I'm sure you will get the MBA. What, what will you have at the end? I'll be a Beyond's Dip West set MIH MBA. Yeah, of course you will. Rolls off the tongue. Yeah. Rolls off the tongue. Is that more letters than your actual name? Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
<laughs> just keep adding to them, you know, yeah. might as well. Absolutely. Well, but you know what, though, I, th- I think that's really great. And, and actually in the, the face of, of adversity for you to kind of one, focus on doing something positive and helping hospitality action, that's massively honorable. And two, you know, looking to, okay, how else can I better myself? So that I suppose when whenever it is that we get to the other side of this, that that you're you're better ready. Completely, I think for for me um, as well, it was I've had some uh, amazing companies that I've worked for over the years and gone on some amazing you know training and development courses and sales courses, and negotiation courses, and and had had an amazing kind of platform to kind of increase my knowledge from, but starting your own business is slightly different particularly when it's you know everything falls to me to do the invoicing the managing the books the website the IT problems I hate my IT department at the moment Um, (laughs) they're always off on a Friday afternoon Uh, on the golf course yeah I can't play golf yeah they 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 probably can Um, all all of that but then actually kind of formalizing some of that knowledge through an MBA just seemed seemed like a it was the right thing for me to do in terms of one making sure that I'm continually trying to develop myself yeah I don't have these lovely companies that you know send me on these courses anymore so I, I need to make sure I'm constantly kind of developing myself and teaching myself and learning to better myself so I can better my company and what it is I do for my clients, but also just better understanding and on some subjects that maybe before I didn't think I needed to know about because there'd be a finance team or, like I say, an IT team or a marketing team. And when that all kind of comes down to you, it's let's get smart about it. And, well, I just wanted some more letters as well, if I'm honest, after my name. Yeah, well, I I can understand that. (laughs) After the MBA, what's next? What's next? Who knows? Who knows? PhD. No. Um, Yeah, do it. There we are. I, I said, that's a, a couple of letters in front of your name as well that's tr- that was also true yeah changed my passport that way as well yeah I'm trying to stay like a positive outlook as well but I'm also acutely aware of the fact that none of us have got a crystal ball none of us know you know what's going to happen to our amazing industry and I hope with all my heart that it's there's going to be so many positive stories that are coming out of it and you can you see these positive stories every single day in in the industry news and around us and I really do but it's just I think everyone's kind of chomping at the bit to to get back understandably and like you know let's get these venues open and let's let's get people back in and let's start money in the tills and that's incredible it's going to be amazing and I want there to be you know huge successes and things but yeah, we don't know what's going to happen, unfortunately. Yeah. So my crystal ball isn't working, but I can only see positive things for the industry. I can only see how, you know, people working from home more, people having this time to kind of go back and train and develop themselves or train and develop them their teams whilst they've been on furlough. You just see all of these positive stories coming out of these incredible companies and how some of these companies have been you know, keeping engaged with their staff whilst they've been off on furlough, all of that just is, it's incredible. It fills me with so much kind of love and joy and positivity that the, the industry we work in is is so invested in the people that are working in it. Yeah. That I, you know, I, that's all I see for the future for hospitality. But for, for me, we'll see. Yeah. See, get an MBA and then I'll 
get on to the next project. How long is the MBA program? It's going to be a year. Okay. So I guess that is what I'm going to be doing for the next year. Yeah. Well, I think the the, the thing about I've always been a believer that you kind of you can find what you want to find I suppose depending on your your state of mind so it's very easy to go and it's always been easier to go and find negative stories than it has positive mm-hmm. I suppose it's a case of uh, very early on in this process I started switching off from the the media and I don't watch any of the main news programs so when people say mm-hmm. oh did you see what happened in xyz like with the black lives matter thing I was really behind the curve on that but just because I, I didn't have my head in the the news every day yeah you know conversely looking for the nuggets of positivity and equally you can go find them they're they're everywhere as well this is a time where we're going to have a mix of both you're 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 regrettably we're going to lose some and we already have lost some you know iconic businesses but equally there will be some amazing things that happen as a result of this and i suppose that's uh, the hope for me is that that is kind of still the status quo with this but as you say none of us know what's coming really you've just got to control what you can control and don't worry about the stuff that you can't yeah and and you know that that's one of the wonderful things about the hospitality industry is that it's both proactive and reactive i know back from my days of running bars and restaurants is that if you were the manager on duty you would walk into that staff briefing at the start of the shift and you know you'd have everything planned and everything ready and you knew which which waitress was in which section and which bartender was on point and everything was planned every shift was different you never knew what was going to come what was going to happen if there was going to be someone who'd had a bit too much to drink and was going to kick off or you know a table would complain about their meal and send it back you never knew what was going to happen that evening or that that lunch service that you had to just learn to be kind of pivotable every single time so I think we're already set up in an industry that has that skill set to both react and be proactive in terms of what's going to happen going forward. Yeah. All of the adversity and all of the, the problems and things that, it, that circumstances throw at us, the industry is so good at, you know, overcoming these challenges and just going, yeah, okay, well, this is the norm now. So it's, it, I think it will, it will be super exciting. And actually, I think there's going to be so many of the amazing traits that we love about the hospitality industry are going to kind of come to the forefront and really shine through. And it is going to be about, you know, amazing service, amazing products. And I think we're going to have a kind of a bigger and better industry to kind of come out the back of this. Just a question of when. Yeah, just a question of when. But yeah. it, we'll get there. Absolutely. So I, I, I apologise for we've taken this quite deep and that's never my intention with this. So let's let's park that phase and move on to to some more enlightening subject matters let's talk about drink let's talk about drink yeah it seems only right that given that that's that's kind of where you you your head is in that we should we should talk about drink we should yeah so very simple question straight off the bat what's your favorite drink well i don't actually drink alcohol anymore ah which is always good the wine lady that doesn't drink wine um (laughs) (laughs) which it's it's a it's an amazing industry to be in. My favorite drink, if I was going back to the days of it, would be kind of an ice cold glass of some kind of Italian white wine. Just yeah, I've got so many happy memories. I guess it would change with 
circumstances because I get this asked this question a lot you know what's your favorite wine or what's your favorite drink and um, Mm. for me it's always you know the setting who I'm with maybe what I'm eating time of year it's all very particularly when I'm talking about wine I just think of you know if it's a, a lovely cold glass of Italian white wine and I think about being sat on the canals in Venice having a delicious glass of suave in the sunshine maybe just in St Mark's Square or having a uh, a glass of rosé thinking of being on a beach in the south of France having a delicious glass of kind of that pale pale you know crystal Provencal rosé so yeah my answer if, if I did still drink wine would always it would always change you know if I was having a delicious steak I'd want a really kind of rich full-bodied Malbec with it or you know hot afternoon on a on a Friday maybe a really delicious gin and tonic with loads of ice and lime in it I'm just going to make everyone want to have a drink now yeah I, I was just <laughs> saying every day is a Malbec day in my house <laughs> True. no it's not do you want to know what my favorite drink is what is your favorite drink Carl? All of them. All of them. Oh, it's a great answer. Yeah. Well, I mean, actually, it's not strictly true. And I'm going to probably alienate my home nation when I say this. I absolutely hate whiskey. Wow. That's a strong state. Yeah. That's me lost a a country's listenership, isn't it? It is, yeah. Yeah. For whatever reason, to be honest, hard liquor I've never really got on that well with in any form. But whiskey, of all of them, it just makes me, it, it makes me do that thing where you go, you know, you kind of tick uh, a little bit. Yeah. When it's just, it's just too harsh too for me. So whiskey, all whiskeys. Well, I suppose in saying that, somebody once, I can't remember who it was, but somebody did give me a, I can't remember if it was a 30-year-old aged Laphroaig. Mm-hmm. It was really, it actually did have some really interesting flavour combinations, but I still can't get past the harshness. But then I suppose maybe I should just be opening up the bouquet with a little splash of water or something. A little like bit, a little bit of ice if you prefer. It's it's strange. I I um I did two years in the spirits industry selling spirits and had had always been around them. Had always uh, you know done made up cocktails, made cocktails on a cocktail bar and and things. But uh, yeah, two years in spirits where all you're talking about is. Um, is 40% ABV and above and part of my induction into that company was three days with the managing director of going through the portfolio of over 800 products of which I didn't taste them all and I, I will point out it was definitely tasting them it wasn't drinking them but it was I probably yeah. <laughs> probably say it was about over the three days it was about 150 160 that we did taste right and I, I couldn't feel my face yeah I'll after bet. that and it was um it was and I I didn't think I was really into any kind of brown spirits. It just had never kind of come, it never been in my kind of world of go and drink a brown spirit, but just fell in love with bourbon and like just absolutely fell in love with the whole kind of American whiskey category and and the history of it. I guess that's where, maybe where my history of art degree is starting to come back in, of understanding the history of the evolution of American history of whiskey history of whiskey that's a qualification that everyone needs I think so we'll just open up people's minds to understanding brown liquor a bit more but your palate changes as well and dependent on your on your mood and again like say what what you're eating so maybe maybe we'll get you into whiskey Phil I'm always available to try I actually totally believe in the development of that of your palate it changes over over time I remember it's actually more a food related story than than a drink one but um 
I used to be really, really unadventurous with food. You know, if if steak and chips was on the menu, steak and chips is what I'd have. And I used to not really care for other dishes of any kind. Mm-hmm. And then one day I kind of woke up, I was traveling the world and I just thought, what are you doing? You've, you, you've got exposure to all of these amazing flavors. Stop it now and just give it a go. And I mean, I never looked back after that. And now I think my palate is pretty open to, to most things, but not hard liquor yet. Not yet. We'll ease you into it. We'll, do, yeah. we'll go through the history of it and find some, maybe some styles that you might not have tried before and, and see. There's something for everyone. Yeah. Uh, massive believe. There's so much diversity within the drink world. You just think there's 10,000 great varieties that can make drinkable table wine. People can probably name maybe 20, 30 of them, but there is that many to, yeah. to go around wow. and try. Yeah. And I, I, I guess... I had no idea there was that many. It's a lot. And um, I get, I guess having been in these amazing jobs that I've been in and have got to travel around to vineyards around the world and, and try some of these kind of really, really obscure native grape varieties that you'll never get the chance to try. I'm quite lucky in that sense and train my palate to pick up the subtle differences. Yeah. Do you have a, a favourite vineyard? Not necessarily for the drink itself, but just in terms of its beauty or... So, I mean, as I've said, is I've got to travel to some amazing places. And I just think back of like the people I was with when I was going there. But I'd probably say when I was in the States four years ago for my brother's wedding, he was getting married in Vegas. But I did a road trip up from San Francisco into Napa Valley and got oh. to, um, it was, which was, it was like my, my, just my calling it was like this, I've come back this is where I need my home to be it was just incredible and yeah. you know even if you just asked for a glass of wine you knew you were going to get something beautiful and um, we went to a vineyard called Silverado just across from Stag's Leap and um, it's actually the granddaughter of Walt Disney that owns it so there were kind of original uh, Disney film posters all over the walls of the winery and then just sat on this incredible terrace. And it was, I was working for, we, the company I was working for imported the wine into the UK, but not very much, a little bit, but had got in contact. And they said, come, we'll give you a, you know, a private tour and gave us this beautiful private tour and then this private tasting. And, but after about the second white wine, my mum had lost interest and my sister was driving and my dad was on about the third white wine. And he'd then thought you know we'll look at this stunning view and they just kept on bringing more and more incredible wines out for me to try and just thought you know would this work in the UK and how you know do you think that your UK clients would like this and it's about wine number 15 or 16 that I kind of was like right I should have been spitting these out the whole time but um it it was just it's just this incredible image on this in this terrace and overlooking the the vineyard and surrounded by this incredible as you can imagine almost disney-esque winery it was just that's probably one of my favorite memories of visiting a vineyard but then i I, there's so many i could probably on another day i'll tell you it was visiting this champagne house and or this vineyard in romania or something i make it sound sound all glamour yeah, well, I mean, there's generally my experience of uh, of vineyards is that there's a, there is an air of beauty about them anyway. I don't know whether it's just kind of the the straight lines of the vines, you know, and the green kind of agriculture that comes with that. Buildings are usually 
quite old. Yeah. And uh, all of that comes together uh, so often that yeah, I can. It, it's it's difficult to to pick one. I mean, one of my favourite regions of the world, and this is really unoriginal, but it's Bordeaux. Yeah. I, my favourite sp- specific part of that is Pomerol. Mm-hmm. I just love the red wines of Pom- the Pomerol region for whatever reason. Uh, but again, this could be related to just the experience that I'm having while I'm there. It doesn't necessarily then translate to me taking three bottles back home, you know, to crack open on a Friday night. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's a very, very different experience. It's, uh, I completely agree with you. Like you can think back, you know, when you've been on holiday and you've tried uh, either a wine or a spirit when you've been on holiday and it's delicious. Oh my God, this is our favorite. We've, we've got to get some and take it home and you put it in the suitcase and you get it back and you think, oh, we'll crack it open in a couple of months and you do and, and you try it and you just think, oh, oh, this, this tastes awful or, you know, it's really not enjoyable. But I think so much of that is because of the emotion and the emotiveness of when you're having it in the place where it's made. Yeah. For me, that's what, whenever I've, I've had wine over the years and I've tried wine or I've been tasting wine for work, um, for me, that that's one of the things is wine is, wine is a massive story. It's a story not only of, you know, the... Um, the country it's from but from that region from that vineyard from the terroir from the the story that the winemakers wanting to portray you know even down to the weather of that year and you know did they have incredible storms over the summer that kind of meant the grapes were a bit watery and yeah. it for me it's again I'm just thinking about the history of that particular bottle of wine and, and there's a whole story within it that people kind of I guess that's just I'm looking at it in a very romantic way. And next time someone you open a bottle of wine, think about all of those other bits. You know what was going on in the world whilst that wine was made. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, and all, all of that. And then actually, kind of, you can bring some of that experience of, like you say, when you're drinking a wine in Pomerol, bring it into your own home. Yeah, I, I remember one year being in Bordeaux in the middle of what you were just describing there, summer storms, and I can't remember ever experiencing rainfall like it we were in a car at the time and it was literally like we were driving through a constant waterfall mm-hmm. and then I didn't really think much of it at the time it's just weather but then you wake up to kind of headlines the next day that you know a lot of crops have been completely decimated by wind and rain and these massive droplets of water were just you know wiping out the the leaves which is obviously the way that they they take the the sun yeah uh, the energy from the sun and it was just it was um until that point i hadn't really thought about all of these little things but uh yeah so i, I agree with you i think it's uh you know the, there is a story behind every single bottle of wine that you that you pop open it's yeah it's we also managed to get back over to weather here as well we managed to move from from uh, yeah, the clouds I'm, to I'm, back into I'm british storm. right yeah <laughs> <laughs> Storing wine, Mm -hmm. this is not necessarily, I suppose, a question for the professional industry. It's more, I suppose, an indulgent question for those those of us who who enjoy good bottles of wine at home. I've kind of got into this a little bit more in the last sort of year or so, basically because somebody donated as a a professional wine cooler. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until that point that I realized that, that, that you are supposed to for optimum storage purposes, there are there's temperatures that you should be storing wine at. There is, yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about that? There is ways that you should store wine, particularly if it's got a cork, a cork cork. I know which sounds silly, but a vast majority of things these days, and if they're 
meant to be drunk either not straight away or quite you know near in the future we'll have a screw cap on it but if you've got a bottle of wine that has a cork in you need to store it on its side to keep the cork moist otherwise it will dry out it will shrivel up a little bit you're going to get some oxygen into the bottle which is then going to oxygenate the wine which you don't want we'll end up with a cork wine do need to keep them out of direct sunlight if you imagine i don't know if you've ever had a bottle of well not perfume or aftershave and you've had it in the sun and you've gone to spray it on yourself and it's had that kind of quite musty smell. Oh, I hadn't realised that. Yeah, that's what, it'll do exactly the same thing to the wine. And you should ideally keep them at a um, regulated temperature. That's not to say you need to have a specialist wine fridge or anything else. But what I mean by that is you, if you're putting a bottle of wine in the fridge, leave it in there. If you're keeping it in a kind of cool, dark place, leave it there until you want, you're ready to drink it. Otherwise, you can, if you have too much of a temperature fluctuation, a little bit, say if you were um, defrosting something from the freezer, you take it out of the freezer and put it into the fridge and back into the freezer. Not that we would do that because we're hospitality professionals. Indeed. But you're, you're going you're gonna to disturb the wine. You're gonna, uh, it can build up crystals inside it as well, which uh, there's nothing wrong with the crystals. You can consume them, but it isn't particularly attractive in the bottle. And you can just damage it, basically. It's quite a temperamental little thing. Yeah. Um, it's been through a lot to get there. It's right? been through a lot. Particularly, you think something's come from Australia. That's a long journey that that wine's been on a ship that's come all the way over from Australia or up from South Africa. Yeah, just treat them with a bit of love and care. And I guess, yeah, if you're going to have red wine, again, and it's got cork in it, leave it open for a few minutes before, or, you know, ideally about half an hour to an hour before you drink it. If you can wait that long. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just uh, start off with one of the screw top ones and then... Um... Screw top and then then move yeah. on to the corked. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But yeah, just c- cool dark places on their side is the best place. As we yeah. all are, it's the best place to be, to chill out. That's very true. I, I hadn't really thought of that, but yeah. <laughs> You've done a couple of WSET qualifications. What does that involve what how how is the learning with that how is the learning it's a combination of traditional learning so you are having to read a textbook and uh, ultimately in, in the end an exam so it's a dependent on which level of WSET you're doing it's either a multiple choice and exam or as you move higher up it's a written exam yeah and there's also tasting blind tasting exam as well right so you will be given a, a white wine, for example, in a glass, and then you have to go through criteria to assess it. So you'll start off by looking at the colour, you know, is it clear, which you'd hope it would be, and then and then work on the nose and describe it from the, the smell on the nose and then taste it all the way then through to kind of being able to guess the great variety, country of origin, vintage. So it gets quite specific. So yeah. train, train the palate to to remember the nuances and the different subtle differences between different wines, which is amazing. And I highly recommend if anyone's interested in wine to do the level one WSET, because it's not, it's, it's, it gives you a really good grounding. Um, as you move higher up, it's kind of gets a bit more, more difficult. And yeah, I didn't realize how little geography knowledge I had until I started having to learn about wine. And realizing it makes such a difference, you need to know where places are in the world. Yeah. Because once you've got the geography, then you can then work out the the environment and you know the weather 
again I'll come back to weather yeah. uh and then yeah. you can work out the, <laughs> the great great varieties and the styles and things but yeah I very quickly had to um improve my geography knowledge when I started learning about wine so what you're saying is is that that wine basically gives you so much more education than just wine itself so much more so much more you know understands where fit places are in the world that's always helpful yeah there's there's all the stories behind it there's all the history behind it there's all it's all so completely wrapped up and uh not only that just you think of wine and food they're just the perfect match to go together as well so if you into food you always got an you know additional source to go that's what I always like to say that wine is the source that the chef didn't prepare to go with your dish as well brilliant superb no that's great I, a lot of really very interesting stuff there on wine uh, specifically you're also qualified in sake I believe I am I am yes it's a little bit niche product but uh, it's amazing have you had sake before I have yeah it's uh, I think it's 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 incredible and more people should try it if you haven't it's one of those drinks that I suppose it's the same if you've never had wine before when initially when you try it I, I think certainly if I had a glass of sake with something and then didn't have another glass of sake for maybe two or three months, I, I'm not picking up any differentials. But I yeah. did have the opportunity to do a sake tasting once and it wasn't until I did that that I started to really fully appreciate the the individuality of, of, of each of these wines. It's, there's, I mean, so huge difference and like you say if you if you had just have a try a bit of sake and it's not something you generally go to the pub and order no. um I, you might do <laughs> maybe um, that's a new trend like, maybe we don't know yeah. lower lower in abv so um but yeah there's i mean it's such a diverse category in in alcohol and i could go on for a long time about my feelings on sake because unfortunately sake kind of falls between the gaps a little bit and people might disagree with me here but I think it falls between the gaps in terms of where it sits within a in a bar or a restaurant because it's not a wine and it's not a spirit and it's not a beer so does it fall under the the sommeliers kind of love and care and protection or does it fall under the bar managers or does it fall in front of their head bartenders so it kind of has its own little niche mm-hmm. place but it's, it's so versatile um, it's so good with food obviously with Asian food, it's incredible, but it's really amazing to add it into a cocktail. It creates a whole new kind of level of flavor in there. Um, it can be kind of looked at as maybe a marmite product. Yeah. It's not to everyone's kind of taste, but um, if you haven't tried it, definitely try it because it's just, it's incredible. But yeah, that was, that was probably one of the most challenging qualifications that I've had to take because it required a knowledge not a massive knowledge, but required a knowledge of Japanese. Yeah. So not only having to learn about sake and the process to make it, but then also the labeling of which is done in Japanese and having to try and remember which symbol means what was, yeah, that was very brain testing, I have to say. Mm. Where do you see uh, drinks trends going? I'd heard a rumor that rum might be on the rise I would love it to be rum to be on the ru- rise. Rum to be on the rise. There we yep. go. Can say it properly. Uh, I've had no rum. <laughs> rum is such a amazingly diverse category again in booze. 
just in terms of where it comes from and you only need to kind of just go to the Caribbean and and look at the differences between the islands and how it's being produced rum's definitely on the rise but then we've been saying that for a few years sherry love sherry to be on the rise because again it's one a bit like sake you might not have tried it but it's incredible for me I think with everyone having been at home for the last few months and have got used to pouring their own measures <laughs> I think maybe yeah, small, small small measures small I'm sure. measures, yeah. yeah I think people when people do go back out I think uh, into the you know the pubs and the restaurants and and to have drinks or to meet up with friends socially distanced I think it might be a little bit of a shock to the system in terms of oh hang on this doesn't taste like it's got alcohol in it but I think yeah. from seeing what's been going on around the world over the last few weeks I think and it it we saw a rise in it before lockdown but also seeing it now I think there's a massive opportunity for the low no category so they're low alcohol and no alcohol as people are just becoming a bit more aware of their health looking at the cost you know either whether they're driving because they don't want to be getting on public transport so I can definitely see things like kombucha and a whole range of adult soft drinks that don't fall under the sugar tax levy I can see a massive rise in people looking to those that don't necessarily just want to you know a pint of lemonade anymore they want something which is a bit more interesting and and different and I hope it is rum as well but we'll see you don't know people's tastes are changed over the last couple of months as well because they're they're eating at home they're not going they haven't been going out to restaurants and having those new flavor experiences so you might see a complete resurgence of madeira or port because that's all someone craves once again i don't think we will but could be yeah that was maybe (laughs) just what they had lurking at the back of the cupboard exactly exactly that was all that was left in the drinks cabinet yeah no, it's actually the the low and no alcohol thing. Is, I think is a, a really relevant point. I definitely could feel that before we went into this, that there's a lot more health conscious people, you know, who still want to have the social experiences and, I suppose, still want to feel like they're drinking, as it were, but they're not getting their brain fuzzed by by what's yeah. going on, and they don't therefore feel terrible the next day or or whatever. And actually, it's it's. I watched a a live Instagram TV show just last week with Daniel Clifford. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's called uh, Five on the Pass. So it's a good good show. If this is me doing a a plug, they haven't paid for it, but but there we are. <laughs> and Daniel Clifford, the two Michelin star chef at Midsummer House in Cambridge, talked about his journey with food being that you're now he's reached a certain age, his body can't tolerate food in the same way that it. It used to be able to, so he's starting to think about that when he's, you know, developing dishes and and things like that about all of the different intolerances that people kind of have. Yeah, and it's the same with drink. I think there's a lot of, I suppose, enlightened people. You you may you may think that 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 look at that and go, well, I don't need the hangover in my life. I don't need yeah. to know that I'm, you know, sticking a pound on my body weight every month because you know, because I'm drinking four or five glasses of wine a week uh, yeah. or whatever. And all of these are, are, I think, really valuable insights. And I think it's um, it's definitely on the rise. Oh, completely. And maybe it's me trying to, maybe being a little bit selfish of being, you know, I don't drink anymore. I do want something which is more exciting than a lime and soda when I get to go out and see my friends. So yeah. Have, having those alternatives and I think like you say people are are generally more health conscious 
they've had a few months at home. You know, you just look at the the amount of people that are getting up and doing the Joe Wicks and have been get, getting out and doing exercise and, and changing the way that they kind of interact with their own bodies because they've had this time to think about it. I think, you know, people aren't going to be wanting to use transport, public transport necessarily, or, or, or limit the time that they are on public transport if they're drinking. So why not go out and, and have a really enjoyable non-alcoholic cocktail? Yeah. But then if they don't want to and go out and have a delicious glass of wine or gin and tonic, then, then there's still that option too. Absolutely. I think the great thing about no alcohol options now is, is that there's no real taboo with it anymore. Exactly. Like if you were the one ordering the no alcohol beer, you would just get rinsed oh, by your mates. Yeah, yeah. But now, you know, it, it's like, well, good on you. Okay. Looking yeah. after yourself, which is it's the right way that it should be, and, and people, uh, yeah, like you say, people would get rinsed if you were the one having the Bex Blue or what whatever yeah. it is you're ordering. And whereas now it's there isn't there isn't that taboo of not I'm not drinking because I don't need to have a reason to either drink or not drink. It's it's that I like the fact that that that's the way we've moved towards um, and that health consciousness. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Okay. Well, let's let's go back to story. Have you got any examples of any funny stories that you could share with us from your career? Something I've done? Preferably. Preferably. I mean, it's probably was one of the um, highlights of my career, but also the most embarrassing moments of my career. Yeah. Uh, and right back at the start and the fact that it was 18 years ago, but I can still think of it now and cringe. It's had that much of an impact on me. And it was when I was at working at Twickenham Rugby Stadium and it was one of the sevens tournaments and I was running the the kind of the bar and, and, and breakout area where the, the teams would come after they played their matches. So as a 17 year old, you can imagine my complete joy of having streams of rugby players come through this bar that I've got, you know, lovely beautiful buffet set out for them yeah. just lots of lots of lovely rugby men coming through but what part of the the bar that I was I was running and the, the place I was running we also had to check on the gym next door so if there were any players in the gym that needed refreshments and actually at the time I was running this bar I was with my brother we were both supervisors at Twickenham we were both running it together and my brother she kind of said oh um Bex go and go and uh, check on in in the gym and see if anyone needs anything this was just after we'd won the Rugby World Cup, just to kind of put it into oh, okay. context. Yep. So I thought, oh, I forgot, well, you know, grumbling to myself, why is he making me do all the work? And so I walked into the into the gym and lo and behold, a very famous rugby player who had performed that kick that made us win the World Cup. Um, oh, I, can't, I can't think who you're talking about there. <laughs> no, I know. Um, he, he, he was topless doing pull-ups in the gym. Right. At least As he was you, only topless. At least he was only topless. But, I, I mean, it threw me. It t- I was not expecting this. I thought, you know, I was in a mood that I'd been sent in here to check on something. And anyways, um, with which I quickly went to go and run out. But I'm, as many people who know me know, I'm very accident prone and I'm a bit of a klutz didn't just kind of exit in a in a demure way I just I headbutted into the glass door and ended up with a humongous Uh-oh. lump on the on, on my forehead and then had to work the rest of the day and then said rugby player did come in later to check on me oh bless that, him yeah it was a very lovely man um but that that has stuck with me and 
for this many years I'm still so embarrassed by it but also can look back and laugh the diversity of the hospitality industry that this is what you get to do meet these famous players yeah well I think the um a lot of people's funny stories are related to to incidents with celebrities yeah I've certainly got got some of my own but I'm definitely not sharing them oh thank you just just me running because I don't want to land them into trouble (laughs) (laughs) but um no that's great thank you for that that's that's a belter I'm still still embarrassed by it now, yeah, and I've just replayed it for everyone, yeah. Yeah, but uh, also thinking about it a little bit longingly. Yes, this is true, this is true. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, what would you say to somebody who was considering a career in hospitality? I would say, um, like everyone, I'm sure, says, you know, go for it. It's, It's the most incredible industry you could possibly go into. It's so diverse. And it holds so many opportunities, kind of regardless of if you think you know what you want to do or you don't know what you want to do. There is every kind of possible job out there for someone who wants to go into it. I just look where I've come from and where I am now. And it's I've had the most incredible opportunities. And um, I never thought I would go into kind of a sales job for having been a restaurant manager. But I've had that opportunity and it's... But then there's so many other paths that you can take as well. So, yeah, there's an, there's enough of us alumni out there of the hospitality industry that if you're considering it, then you'll find someone that can give you some advice and help point you in the right direction. Here, here. I, uh, I couldn't agree more. I think that's uh, a great way to wrap it up. Before we do that, if people want to learn about you and and what you're you're all about uh, or just want to pick your brains or chew the fat and all of these other lovely cliches, uh, how do they do that? How do they do that? I guess the usual Twitter or Instagram. I'm on there as Bex Wine. Very original. Or <laughs> drop me an email, which is becky at crowdconsulting.co.uk. Or just speak to you and throw me over anyone that wants, the connection. To, yeah, wants to talk wine or storing wine. Yeah. Or weather. Or weather. Yes, weather. It's very important. Brilliant. Well, Thank you very much, Becky. It's been absolutely wonderful to chat to you today and I appreciate all your insight into to the world of drink and, uh, and wish you all the very best with the next phase of your, your business. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome. Take care. Thanks. Bye-bye. And there we have it. A really interesting and unique story from Becky as well as some golden content from the world of drink. A massive thank you to Becky for that. Don't forget, we're launching an episode each night this week, so hit that subscribe button and give us a like and a share where you can. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you tomorrow.